Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. So what movie are we taking way too seriously today? The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Ah. It's a movie about an autopsy of a person named Jane Doe. I see. Thank you for that elaborate explanation. That's basically a summary of the film. Of course, things go terribly awry as they autopsify this lady. Right. They being um, Tommy, the dad and lead coroner in this small community in Virginia, and Austin, his son and guy he's training in. Apprentice. Ooh, good word. His apprentice. And they're basically the the whole cast, not entirely, but almost. And it just follows them as they dig into this body and find weird things. And then it gets ghostly and strange and mysterious. And that actually starts fairly early on in, you know, like there's the sheriff brings the body to them. And then not immediately, but, but very soon things start going like getting weird like the radio starts yeah. acting up and the weather suddenly gets crazy and or does it well right it doesn't because <laughs> like i liked that it was very on the nose at the end where they're like we've had five days of the best weather in the whole world <laughs> yep. to point out that there is no reason why they were trapped in that morgue by the storm yeah so basically everything happening wasn't happening it was just weird and mysterious and yeah. Weird. Which gets to the heart of my issues here. Mm-hmm. Here's my fundamental take on this whole movie. And so this colors everything. Because okay. great cinematography, lots of style, mm-hmm. slow paced, kind of just really soaking you in it. Yep. But no content. Like that's all there was, was the style and the visuals. And so it felt to me, this is what I was saying. I was having a clever person moment. I said, this is more like a poem than a story. It's ah. got a mood. It's got, it's, it's trying to get you to feel something, trying to tell you something without actually telling you anything. That's interesting. And actually probably makes me like the movie more than I liked it in the first place, because I had that same feeling. There were so many moments where I was like, this just isn't hitting right somehow. This. Like, Mm -hmm. I see what they're trying to do, but I'm not feeling it or... It's almost like a there's a fundamental problem with the structure of most horror movies um, that's evident here, which is kind of like, if your plot is a ghost is tormenting a family, most of your runtime is just, how else can the ghost torment the family? Like, it's just random stuff. And, and it just keeps ramping yeah, up and, and up. that's not really a plot. That's just stuff happening. Yeah. And this movie had a lot of that. Yeah. Like, there's no real connection between these events and they didn't tie together into something important. I mean, at the end it did because they did come in and they had an explanation. Like, there well, was an did. explanation that tied everything together. Yeah. But it came in so much, like, at the end, like, oh, 
here, here's a piece, and here's a piece, and here's a piece, and if I wrap it like this, it looks like it, <laughs> like it I meant it. Shroud and shove it down your throat. <laughs> exactly, which you know makes me sound like I didn't like it, but I did for the most part. There were times where I'm like, there's something about the way the dad and the son are interacting, and I kind of had a love hate relationship with not interacting with each other, but interacting with what's happening. Yeah, like there was different because as the coroner like the dad in particular was very like science he's just like science 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 and that's it and that had to evolve throughout the movie yeah you know he in order for him to decide to make the sacrifice he made at the end which we're also going to talk about well yeah but then the son was like the polar opposite of that where he's like the radio made a crackly noise clearly it's haunted. <laughs> yes. I'm like, "Wait, what?" I that wasn't exact you know, he didn't say exactly that, but it sort of felt yeah, like he, he kept making those way. like, "Well, obviously <laughs> this is happening, so this is real." And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, you're, is you're it? <laughs> reaching a little bit." But then I feel like that Kind of broke. That was one of my notes was that the dad was all sciencey mm-hmm. until suddenly he wasn't. I mean, he had a good reason. It, it was just different than other horror movies that suddenly the one big supernatural thing happens where like... It was goes, that the fire? No, it was way before that. It, oh. it goes all black and like all the drawer... When the lights <gasps> right. come back on, all the drawers are open. And all the bodies are gone. All this stuff has happened that couldn't happen. Like it's just clearly magic. That's when he's like... Okay, so there's a witch. What do we do? No, no, no. Right, it's not a witch. There's something. What do we do? So, yes, basically the lights come back on. He looks around and he's like, yeah, we got to get out of (laughs) here. Yeah. (laughs) And which at that moment, the note that I wrote was, oh, these are like the smartest horror movie (laughs) characters we've come across. Like, they're not going to mess around. They're like, something is clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. We're going to get out of Dodge. Yeah. I sort of liked that because it was was kind of refreshing. As opposed to the, like, teenagers (laughs) running around in the woods being chased by axe murderers and being like, it's probably bears. Yeah, I think it was unfair of me to say he was just believing it. It was, he he did say, let's get out of here. Right. That's a good response rather than what most people do. Right. Instead of the denial of this can't be happening. Like, (laughs) dude, it is happening. Like, he just, he's like, I don't know what it is, but it's happening and we're going to get out. But there was, it just... Every once in a while, that dynamic between them sort of missed the mark, I think, where I was like listening to them talk and I'm like, this doesn't feel right somehow. Yeah, I got that too. Like, um, it almost, to me, it was like the dad's reaction to things wasn't right for me. Like when he was running from monsters and scared, like he was scared, but there was something wrong. Now that I'm thinking about it, you said running from monsters, and I'm thinking about how many times he and the son both fell over because of something (laughs) that happened, like that they were, you know, were pulled back or thrown back or fell off a chair or whatever, because they were afraid, which again is, yes, believable. Like each time it happened, I was like, okay, this happened. But also, holy cow, like they fell down a lot. And clumsy people. That always bothers me because it's a, you know, it's one of those tropes where, you know, the the hapless female in the movie is, you Uh know, falling down because she's tripping over each twig and leaf in the forest. But it, it almost got to that extreme at this point where it's like, We didn't see the scary thing. We just saw them, you know, flailing backwards away from the scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, There was a lot of that. That's true. And there was, what, was it the grudge, I think, where I was like... Yeah, where everybody just... 
paralyzed in Yeah, fear. you can't just make me see someone who is afraid <laughs> to make me afraid. Or you can, but it takes a specific skill, and I don't think this movie quite hit that specific skill. But this movie, as opposed to The Grudge, didn't only rely on people being afraid. It had some pretty startling things in it. Yeah, I did not jump at all at that face. He's looking through the hole in the door and a face pops up. Spoilers. Obviously, you know that was going to happen. Right. And that's why it didn't get me at all. I'm like, I'm just waiting for it. I'm like, okay, there it is. Yeah. And I know you jumped at that I point. I did, which made me mad because I also, I'm like, oh, I even had the thought. I'm like, I should probably put my tea down because something's going to jump out at me. And I don't know, you know. Yeah. Clearly, I was feeling a little twitchy last night. <laughs> that jump scare was telegraphed. Yeah. But there were some others, and not even jump scares, but there were like some creepy, ooh, is that the shape of a body in the darkness yeah. or in the fog or in the wherever? That It, it made it eerie. It, it was spooky. There was a shot, I don't know if you even noticed, where there was somebody in the background. Like the son's walking down the hall and... He walks past a dark thing, and there's somebody in the dark. Oh, dark I love side that. I, I think I, I missed that. that a lot. But yeah, I love that that thing, or where they like pan across a room, and if you're paying yeah. attention, you see the face in the corner. Yeah, like, scary. That's good stuff. At about half an hour into the movie, I paused it oh, right. to check the time yeah. so that I could say, this is when I figured out what was going on in this movie. Okay. I was off slightly. Oh. At 30 minutes in, I was like, oh, this woman is a vampire. Oh. You know, like she it. was weirdly healed from, from what yeah. should have been horrific injuries and whatnot. Like I was like, oh, she's mid healing process. You know, the outside is healed. The inside hasn't. She wore corsets. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I, I sort of feel like that might have been the extent of what we knew at that point. But like, <laughs> Who else wears corsets? Right? So at that point, I was like, oh, this is she's going to be a vampire. I was wrong. She was yes. a witch, but I wasn't that off. I mean, it was essentially the same idea. Yeah, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning. I've seen this movie before. So there's that. I forget. It, it was on our list of movies we should watch. And I, I think I put that on before I watched it. And I don't remember under what circumstances I watched it. But I did. So I was spoiled for this. So yeah, yeah. I was going witch. So I liked the witch element. I liked that it wasn't vampires. Witch element. <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay. No, I liked that it wasn't vampires because that was too obvious. You know, I liked that my guess at 30 minutes <laughs> in wasn't accurate. And I always like when they address that whole like Salem witch trials thing and how there were no witches at that right. point. Like it was mass hysteria. But I know you found, you realized... Well, I saw on IMDb. When you, when you were reading IMDb, you... <laughs> this is how I, I realize things a lot yes. by reading IMDb. You made that connection that they had it a little bit wrong. Yeah, they, they she was a young girl that had been, you know, accused of being a witch. And I have a whole issue with what the dad had to say about that. But anyway, the true story was that the young girls were the accusers. The older women were the ones who were being accused. Right, were the innocents who were being yeah. accused. So really for this movie, for the, the premise of this movie to be accurate, it wouldn't have been, you know, a young, beautiful 18-year-old girl. It would have been, you know, a housewife. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk about the premise of this, the whole plot basically, is around the idea that if you perform an anti-witch ritual <laughs> on an innocent... 
you create a witch. Okay, my problem isn't with that. My problem is with the fact that the dad said that. That the dad was like, well, I've done a lot of autopsies in my time, and I know (laughs) that if you do a witch ritual on somebody, they become a witch. Like, he he came up with this idea. That's absurd. It was more of that feeling like they kind of shoehorned the plot in at the end to explain what was going on. Yeah. That... I feel like that the plot itself isn't so much the problem. It's how they presented it timing wise. If they had been like dribbling this information out throughout the movie, that it might've worked better. Yeah. If there had been some reason for him to come to that. I mean, there was some, you know, they were finding clues and the shroud and things, but it was, it was dumped at the end for sure. It's a leap from thou shalt not suffer a witch to live (laughs) To, oh, well, clearly, if you do an anti-witch ritual on an innocent girl, she becomes a witch. I know, because you know what a better uh, explanation for this is? Okay, we know right now she's doing magic on us, this dead person. Isn't it more likely that she was a witch to start with? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's more likely than that you can, like, stuff somebody's tooth down their throat and they turn into a magic monster. Yeah, it does feel like he went looking for zebras when he heard the hoofbeats, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I did, I, I always, but I am a sucker for that whole, like, Salem witch trials plot line. I, yeah. I like that. So as much as I'm bagging on the plot and the storytelling of this movie, there were some elements that I liked. Some things Mm -hmm. that I thought were done well. And one of them is kind of showing the parallels between what has happened in their lives. Like this father-son pair is together because, you know, is is alone. Uh, You know, they are their family because the wife slash mother died. And it seemed to me, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that she died by suicide. I think you are correct. Okay. So there's this idea of of suffering, unseen suffering, that is a parallel between, mm-hmm. you know, like what the mother was going through and then what this witch is going through because she looks perfectly healthy from the outside. It's only when you start looking deeper and looking inside that you see the pain that she's experiencing, Very right? Very interesting. Okay. Hmm. There's also the element of the cat, Stanley. Oh, Stanley. I know. I know. And you called it as well. I, no, I. that's fine. I called it because I I'm sure, sure I called, called it, it the, the first, first time. time. Yeah. So there's the parallel there too about the idea of putting some something out of its misery. Like mm, like Stanley yeah. was so injured, there he wasn't going to survive. And so the father did what needed to be done to put him out of his misery. And then later, when the father has taken on all of these injuries, like he's made this sacrifice and he is in extreme suffering, there's no way he's going to survive. The son then has to be the one to take on, yeah. you know, putting him out of his misery. So there was that parallel too. Yeah. And I th- that's why he magically understood the idea that this was an innocent girl instead of a actual witch. Not that there's anything wrong with being a witch, by the way, but 
that's a separate issue. Right? We do not want to make the witches angry. It's fine. We are not religious bigots, but he was taking on her suffering and giving her peace, or at least that was his plan. Yes, and and he did it to protect his son. Like he had very noble purposes mm-hmm. there, I think, especially since he felt like he had been such a failure when it came to protecting the mother yeah. to his son. You know, like he definitely had some guilt there. And so here he's like, I'm I'm going to do a better job of protecting my son. I am going to take on. And I do think there was an element of wanting to make up for what had happened to this girl. Like he hadn't yeah. had any part in in causing it to happen, but okay, well, I will atone for what happened to you. Yeah. But then it makes me mad because his sacrifice is completely pointless. Correct. And that's problematic. The way his son dies is just like random whatever. Let's throw in. It was the tacked on at killed. the end. Yeah, it's like, oh, he falls down. Like that doesn't have any resonance to the story. It doesn't do anything. All it does is make his sacrifice meaningless. Right. It basically negates the whole point of the <laughs> of the story of the witch. And it makes it there's that that idea in horror movies where they've defeated the bad guy and then the you know the hand reaches uh-huh. up out of the rubble. You know, it, it's that sort of thing. Like we think we've defeated this witch or, you know, released her spirit and everything is better now. And it's like, oh nope, it turns out that hundreds of years of being angry at being wrongly accused of being yeah. a witch can't be solved with one little sacrifice. Yeah. And I think it's that, but I think they could have done that by cutting straight from getting the kid out to taking her away in the ambulance and her toe rings, which is my favorite thing. <laughs> her freaking toe that makes a bell sound when it moves. I know that wasn't really what it was doing. It was just symbolic, but that's stupid. It could have just twitched, but they wanted to make the reference to the bell, and they knew that nobody was going to put a bell on her toe, but why not just put the bell there? If you want to make the bell sound, put a bell on it. Yeah, I I I hear you. I'm sorry. Do you hear me ringing at you? I do. Uh, yeah, they definitely made a a very smack you on the nose with the newspaper kind of choice with the soundtrack there. <laughs> yeah, that that's what that felt like. Yeah, that was a studio note. Yes. What if they don't understand what that toe twitch means? Like, yeah, uh, they, they don't understand that people's toes only twitch man. when they're alive. <laughs> I do think though that they're. Like story-wise, there may have been issues too with like, okay, well, how how do we explain? How does the son get out of this? Because now he's the only one alive. His girlfriend is dead. His dad is dead. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? This girl looks like she hasn't even been touched for an autopsy. <laughs> That's true. Like <laughs> you didn't even do your job in the middle of killing everyone, right? Like as the sheriff walking into that scene, I don't think I would have immediately gotten to. Oh well, clearly this girl is a witch, and they've been possessed all night long. <laughs> no, and that's fine. But, you know, you can skip that. You can. That's not yeah. part of our story. Surely he's going to get arrested, but who cares? That's outside. I mean, he's he's bad enough off anyway. Right. <laughs> he is not happy. Right. But, you know, that's a, that's a better ending than he falls off a balcony. Yeah. Because come on. Yeah. And I think there could have been ways of, of showing that the dad was not. Because I made the note. I'm like, oh. Wait, the dad can die, but she's still dead. Like, I don't. What was was the trade here? And so when I saw that the dad wasn't actually dead, or that he, you know, was I don't know, maybe he was a ghost. 
I think that was just more of how, you know, like all the bodies were getting up. They were just imaginary. Oh, right, because when the sheriff showed up, the dad was where he had died. Yeah. Okay, so that didn't happen at all. So the dad was dead, but then it makes sense because there was no trade. Yeah, like, she just tricked just... him into making a pointless sacrifice. Yeah, she did, except that's like, we just accept that that's a thing, that you can look in the eyes of a witch that refuses to die, and she makes you start suffering what she suffered. And she gets better. Why do we assume that's how that works? He just, he was just like, okay, here we go. It's years of medical training. That's what it is. Yeah, I did not take medical. I've never been to medical school, so I don't (laughs) know. So you don't know how witch rituals work. Duh. (laughs) I I can accept that. But going back to Mr. Stanley. Okay, the cat. My issue is bigger than this film. My issue is in horror movies, Mm -hmm. 99% of the time, animals exist solely as a warning of how dangerous things are. Mm Mm-hmm. You see an animal, it's going to die first so that you know that the danger present is killing things. Even before that, the animal is the first thing to act strangely yes. and recognize that there's something off about it's a somebody. a double canary in the coal mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. And it is offensive to me just because I like animals more than people. But also, <laughs> come on. <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those like rules that... This one's not quite as strong, I don't think, as as in romance novels. Mm-hmm. I've I don't write romance novels. I've read some. There's a lot of like very specific rules to yeah. writing romance, right? And one of the rules is that you are never allowed to kill the animal. Like that sounds much better. I like, might read romance. It's, right. It's the opposite. It's that like it's built into the genre. Yeah. That there's this rule about animals. And in horror, unfortunately, the rule is animals are the canary yeah. in the coal mine. And I think what bothers me about it is that how insignificant it treats the animals. Like mm-hmm. they are literally just a throwaway. And that's so devaluing them as mm-hmm. as just not even a tool. Like just, hey, look at that. That means this is dangerous. Like, no, it doesn't mean it's dangerous. The bad thing just happened. Like it's not warning you of a bad thing. It is the bad thing. That's worse than you getting killed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like there are some people who might take issue with there that. There are. And those people are wrong because animals are better than people. Animals. <laughs> aren't wrong people are wrong what i'm thinking of as you're saying that is that that is definitely a thing with animals and then the next layer is and it's getting better recently but the next layer is women yeah then the girls die because then (laughs) it's really a dangerous situation for the guys just that but it also it's an emotional hit for the guys you know i mean the animal was in this case certainly but like you know oh i've lost my woman that that drives me on to achieve Right. So there's definitely in that in those tropes, there is a built in hierarchy of like, animals are very unimportant minorities. Yes, everybody uh, knows people of color, LGBTQ women, like there's a whole like range there in the middle where the white guy can pull it all off in the end. But I mean, that has been changing. We've seen a lot of movies where that's not the case. But I think, again, you know, when we talk about those tropes, they come from a, a place a long time ago. And I always like to see when tropes are twisted on their heads. So I like when we see horror movies where the animal lives, not just because I want the animal to live, but because it tells me that the people who've written the story 
story have thought a little more deeply about it. Yeah, of course, there are there are a lot of tropes. I can't think offhand, but there's a lot of tropes at this point where the trope is that you subvert the trope. Yeah. And then the trope is that you subvert the subverting of the trope. <laughs> and it's just it's it just becomes predictable again. Well, but then or you end up in those situations like when we were watching Ready or Not, where like literally I'm watching the son hold the knife above his uh-huh. head and I'm like, oh, I don't know which tropey direction yeah. this is gonna go. Well, I mean, to but, be fair, there's only two options. So But no matter what <laughs> he had done, yeah. I mean, I guess he could have done something crazy like thrown the knife. At, at one of his wall. siblings Ooh, or yeah. out the window or like, ooh. Oh, he should have thrown it out the window. At the chair where ooh, Mr. Mr. LaBelle sits. You know, who knows? There that could have been, been something. Because he's the only one who's ever seen Mr. LaBelle. Yeah. Not to talk about that movie. So, but anyway, like, <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of feeds into that idea that subverted tropes have kind of become a trope in and of themselves. It's true. But the, the nice thing about that is it actually opens it up. So now you can follow the trope and that's still kind of a subversion so you've got choices now Mm -hmm. and the audience actually can go into the movie not knowing which way you're going to go because you might subvert you might not whereas in the old days they knew you were going to follow the path well trod right i've been watching a lot of 1970s like cop dramas and procedural dramas oh, I like i've been watching a lot of columbo peter I'm falk aware of that peter falk is my bay um huh. and it's interesting like one of the things i like about it is that there are pieces of it that feel fresh to me because they were super super dull and boring in the 70s yeah. but we've moved so far away from them that now it's like oh yeah. that's new yeah, that's so, true. You know, it, there is nothing new under the sun. You know, there's Definitely. what, seven stories? And that's something I want to say about this movie is this was a very interesting format for a movie. Like this mm, idea of mm-hmm. we're just going to follow this autopsy and how it goes. It devolved into running around in mm-hmm. the dark being chased by monsters but it really felt throughout like it was a different structure than a regular movie right which was good and i struggled more with the actual autopsy pieces of it (laughs) than with the horror pieces of it because my brain automatically is like oh this is a horror you know ghosts aren't real witches aren't real none of this is happening it's fine this is just a story like i don't have a problem like i don't have nightmares after we watch these movies but when they were just straight up doing the autopsy i'm like oh i don't know if i can (laughs) handle this like this is way too real like this real people this happens to real people they they make that incision they cut their brains (laughs) open oh my god yeah oh yeah the brain part was pretty gross oh i couldn't like the fact that i know it's represented Presenting something that actually happens all over the country every yeah. single day to real people. Real dead people. But still, like yeah. real real dead people who <laughs> used to be alive. Like yeah. uh, or maybe still are. And maybe still are. Yeah. I mean, that's the same reason why I can watch all the horror movies I want and all the crime dramas and CSI and mm-hmm. Law and Order and all of that, but I can't watch real, like true crime yeah, true crime things. Documentaries. Because I'm like, oh, those bodies were actual human beings with jobs and favorite foods and like i can't handle that that segs into what i was thinking about during this movie just a a lot of times my brain would just go whoa the fact that this girl is laying there naked on the table in the middle of not a not an autopsy room but a film set she has to lay there not moving 
totally naked in front of everybody for all this time. And I just think about the awkwardness and weirdness of that experience. Yeah, for sure. And there were points where I, especially when they were doing the autopsy and things, and I'm like, how much of this is a real person laying there? And how much of this is some kind of, you know, rubber model of this real person? IMDB says that it's almost entirely a real person. Then I am really impressed because (laughs) Uh there are so many straight on shots where she's just like dead eyed, slack jawed, no tongue. Yeah. I I I imagine they didn't remove her tongue for the scene. I mean, if she were a method actor. Yeah, I feel like that's important. No, but even just that like camera straight at your face and Mm -hmm. you're able to maintain looking dead. That's pretty impressive. Fun fact, she, it said on IMDb where I get all my information and it's always true. If it's on the internet. (laughs) They said that she was chosen for her extensive yoga experience because she could control her breathing very well. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So she just did like dead man's pose for hours. (laughs) For hours. Huh. That's interesting. I just think about like some some movies just really get me into the thoughts of the process of making that movie and how weird it is for her to be there. And just to even like I wouldn't want to lay in a movie set naked like that. Yeah. Like that would not be my comfort zone. But I know <laughs> it is for some people. But like even if you're perfectly comfortable like that, your body is like, hey, it's a little drafty in here. Like how did she not have like goosebumps and stuff yeah. all over? Like I'd yeah, probably cut around that. But it, yeah, I mean it it. it adds a whole challenging element to the filming of the movie, for sure. I made a connection with this movie very early on in that, well, connection and uh, like there was a creep factor that might be more personal to me than than some people. One of my reoccurring nightmares that I have mm. had since childhood is going down into the basement and getting lost. Like that you go through the main room, wherever, you know, the den or whatever, and you go into, oh, here's some other side room. And then you go through that and you go into a closet and then you go behind some fur coats. There's always like a bunch <laughs> of fur coats for some reason and you go behind the fur coats and there's this hallway and like you just can never get out of the basement because it keeps going and i was talking with my cousins recently and for some reason that came up and i realized that when i was young my grandparents lived in a house that had kind of a meandering basement it had an end it wasn't a supernatural (laughs) basement but to me as like a five-year-old it was massive and like every time you'd go through a door there was another room and it i think it maybe circled around too so like you could (laughs) keep going through (laughs) doors forever forever. if you took the right path so like that clearly stuck in my head because they were like oh yeah i've had that nightmare too that basement (laughs) had an impact on us in a weird way so then when when watching this movie as they're walking through this basement that's set up like kind of sterile but kind of not i always think about that with morgue type places yeah the gloves coming off and when they take them off and when they don't like they open a drawer with the glove on i'm like you just did something there yeah anyway that's totally separate but like so this was definitely triggering that piece of me that has this like deep seated fear of basements that don't end I i can understand that so i don't have a connection like that but i have this issue with the song that was all throughout this movie about let the sun shine in mm-hmm. clearly the song was from the witch it was part of her it 
came out of her in some way. That song could not have been from, I mean, the song could have been from 1693, I don't know, but not that recording, like, that was weird, right? It was. In fact, you didn't hear this, audience, but we just took a big pause to look it up, and... (laughs) That song, Open Up Your Heart and Let the Sun Shine In, was recorded by the Cowboy Church Sunday School Choir in 1954. So not even close to Salem Witch Trials. But the thing about that is they used it because it sounds creepy. Yes. Which I have a secondary issue with. But right now I'm saying they were like, oh, yeah, creepy and old. But they acknowledge this woman's from 1693 that's definitely not the music for her for her life yeah it's odd that they would have made such a big deal out of when she came from and that this song was relevant and that there's such a discrepancy that they don't address in any way yeah very strange my other issue is that these songs that every horror movie uses creepy songs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my mama told me something about the devil and I hate him so and open up your heart and let the sun shine in. That's not a creepy song. That was a joyous, fun song back in 1954. And now we call it creepy. Well, part <laughs> of it too is sort of like how tropes have evolved. Music has yeah. evolved so much. The peppy songs of the 1950s were pretty dirge-like, actually. (laughs) Like, they're very slow, and the melodies are very simple, and now we think of that as something old and creepy. But it's just funny that this... Just think, hundreds of years from now, like... Taylor Swift songs will be used <laughs> to represent like trapped souls tormenting people. I can understand that. I sort of see the look in your face where you're like, is is Taylor Swift not being used to torment trapped souls now? No, I like Taylor Swift. I yes. will admit it. We love we love our we're Swifties. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true. In fact, I remember sitting in another grandmother's oh, no. living room when I was like a teenager and she had all these recordings of, you know, pop music from when she was a kid <laughs> yeah. and like listening through and like writing down lyrics because I'm like, these songs are so profound and different. And I'm like, yeah. they're not that different. But again, I was so removed from them that they felt new and interesting to me. Yeah. It's just so weird that, you know, we're using them as scare tactics now. Yeah. I have a hard time with this movie because it is very well done, and yet it doesn't feel great. It's not that interesting. It doesn't work for me story-wise or just... It didn't scare me in the slightest. Like, it was whatever. I was sort of interested, and it drew me in with, like, the style of it. I'm like, okay, this is cool, but... It did not hit the mark. So I guess the combination of those two things hits right together in the middle at three yanked molars out of five. That's where I'm going with this one. How about you? I think I'm sort of feeling similarly in that there were definitely things I liked about this movie. I do think there was effort put into it. It was done with intent. It wasn't sloppy. I think the people who knew who were doing this movie knew what they were doing. Yeah. Artistically um, built. Yes. Yes. And it had the foundation for an, a, a strong story, but... You know, like you said, it just kind of missed it. There, there were pieces where the story was weaker than I would like, or where the dialogue wasn't quite as authentic as I would like. 
And so that, that causes me to lower my score a little bit. You know, we've talked about the evolution of things over time. I think that my ratings of these movies has evolved over time. Oh, mine definitely has. Um, I think had I watched this in one of my first years when I was doing this with you, I would have rated it very high because it's it it has the quality to it that I sure. that looks like a really good movie. But now that I've seen enough quality horror movies <laughs> that also have incredibly impactful stories, this one just doesn't quite have everything I like in it. Like I, to get a really high score, I want my movies to have some kind of really, I want them to hit that special mark somehow. And this didn't quite get there. But I think I'm going to give it a three and a half yanked molars out of five because I did like it more than I disliked it. I I think I would recommend that people watch it. I think there, there's, it, it would not be a waste of your time to watch this movie. All right. I'm not sure I agree, but that's why our ratings are slightly (laughs) different. I would like to point out, though, just as we wrap this up, that as our movie ended, Netflix had a recommendation for (laughs) what we could watch next. Wanted us to follow up this feeling. Really wanted us to watch an episode of The Great British Baking Show, (laughs) which was a little bit jarring for my my little brain. So that's the autopsy of Jane Doe. And we'll catch you all on the flippity-floppity. Oh, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, here too! (laughs) Covered in geckos! That's all I need. See, when I do that, (laughs) then later I'm like, why did I write that? What does that mean?